Have you ever had someone you love or you yourself, have you ever been given a devastating diagnosis? Know the answer from some. How did you respond when first hearing that news? With, with fear? Denial? Maybe with optimism? With faith in the Lord? Well, here's the truth of the matter, folks. We have all been given a devastating diagnosis by God from His Word. We have all been diagnosed with a deadly sickness that has taken our life from us and will eventually and completely do us in. And the dangerous thing about this disease is that while no one is immune to it, many fail to realize they even have it. And they refuse to face it before it's too late. But there is great news for those who are mindful of this universal sickness. There is a specialist that you can see for this sickness who has the cure and he has a 100% success rate for all whose eyes have been opened to this sickness and who look to him for help. You probably know by now the sickness I'm talking about and the physician I'm referring to, I'm talking about the sickness of sin and, of course, the saving work of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke 5, we're going to be looking at two stories this morning that I believe are meant to be viewed side by side. In the first story, there are two parts to it. You have the miracle Jesus performs and then the message Jesus gives. And in the second story, you have those same two parts, but in reverse. First, you have the message Jesus gives and then the miracle he performs. And as we study both of these stories, I want you to see here that the main point of these stories are not the miracles Jesus performs, but the forgiveness and cleansing he provides. In these passages, we learn that we are sick with sin. And Scripture says that we are to blame for this sickness. But in these two stories, Luke lets us, the readers, know that there is complete spiritual healing and total restoration through Jesus Christ. In these stories, you're going to learn about two men who are in need of something more than physical healing. They are in need of spiritual healing. And the question that I want you to consider this morning is this. Do you realize that you too are sick? You are sick with sin. Do you realize that you are dead because of sin and separated from God? Do you realize that apart from Christ, you are worse off than the leper and the paralytic that we learn about in this story? Do you realize that you're in deep need of spiritual healing? And do you realize that the solution to your sin problem, the cure is found in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? If not, my prayer for you today is that you would leave here this day with that perspective. Because get, get this, only when you see yourself 
for who you truly are before God, a sinner, sick, unclean, and condemned. Only with this perspective will you ever look for, trust in, and cling to the Savior. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Notice first, Jesus' healing of the leper. Look at verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, I want you to see, to start off here, that this man is in a bad way. He has a severe case of leprosy. We learn in Scripture that there were stages to this disease. And notice how Luke, the physician, describes this man here. No other description given of this like this in Scripture. He tells us this man was full of leprosy. He was in a bad, bad way. And in this day, not only was it bad to just have this, this disease, but this disease meant banishment from friends and from family, separation from the family of God, from fellowship with God's people. So not only did one have this terrible disease, but there was separation from loved ones as a result of this disease. Now, while Luke is describing these events here taking place, while, while Jesus is in one of the cities, we're told that a, a leper approaches him. Now, we're not told here either this man who was not allowed to enter into the city because he had leprosy, either he risked everything to enter into this city to find Jesus or Possibly Jesus is on the outskirts of town and this man sees him and, and comes to him. We don't know for sure, but what we do know is this. This man sees Jesus, he comes to him and falls on his face before him and desperately begs of him, Lord, if you will, if it be your will, make me clean. So notice here what this man knows. Number one, he knows that he's sick. Number two, he knows he's separated. Number three, he knows he is helpless on his own. And number four, he knows that Jesus is his only hope of rescue. Now that'll preach right there, won't it? Very simple and straightforward. I love it when God just kind of smacks us in the face with it, right? He just lays it out there. This man knows he's sick, he knows he's separated, he knows he's helpless on his own, and he knows that Jesus is his only hope of rescue. And the same is true for all of us spiritually. Notice how he asks Jesus. He doesn't command him to make him clean. He asks him in an interesting way, I believe, to reveal something very, very important about Jesus. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Which leaves us, the reader, wondering for a moment, well, does he will it? He can make anyone clean. That's, that's not the question. The question is not can he. The question is will he? Notice the great faith of this man. He not only believes in Christ's great capabilities, he, he knows he can heal him if he so chooses, but he also believes that what Christ wills is best. Boy, can you say that? Notice 
what he says. The leper says to Jesus, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Here we get good insight into what Christ has come to do. Why has he come? We've talked about it again and again in here. He has come to reverse the curse. He has come to fix what mankind broke. He has come to heal and restore. Jesus' answer here reveals that Jesus has come to heal and restore those who come to him and lay their lives before him and give their lives to him and trusts in him. Notice something else. Very important I want you to see about this miracle. Notice how Jesus heals this man. Verse 13, he stretched out his hand and touched him and healed him. Now let me tell you, in the first century, every Jewish person hearing that read, just hearing that that a leper approached the Messiah would have been shocking to them, but then to hear that he reached out his hand and touched them, they would have hit the floor. They would have been floored by this response for two reasons. One, it was a health risk. Two, God clearly said in Leviticus, you have the scripture reading in your your, uh, scripture reading this week, the passage there. In Leviticus, he said that if anyone comes in contact with one who is unclean like this leper here, they become ceremonially unclean. Now think about this. In their minds, of all the people who needed to remain undefiled, who in their minds would have been top of the list to remain untainted by the filthiness of a leper? The Messiah, right? But here's what they fail to realize. Watch this. This is important. When Christ encounters the unclean, the unclean, does not make him who is clean unclean. But when Christ encounters the unclean, he who is unclean becomes completely clean. You with me? Now that will preach. That's what happens. This man is full of leprosy. He approaches Jesus. Jesus reaches out his hand, and immediately the leprosy leaves him. The unclean leper encounters the completely clean Messiah, and the completely clean Messiah makes the unclean leper completely clean. And and folks, Christ works in the exact same way when it comes to salvation. Watch this. When, When unclean sinners fall before the perfectly clean Savior, the perfectly clean Savior makes unclean sinners perfectly clean. Wow, right? Now here's the catch. For this to happen, you must first come to the realization that you're unclean. You must see yourself as a spiritual leper who is unclean, separated from, condemned by God. And you must go from where you are to Jesus and bow before him and give your life up and over to him. If you're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, you are unclean. Not my words, God's words. All throughout God's word. You're sick, you're dead, Paul says in Ephesians 2. A sinner separated from and set against God. Good news is, Jesus has come for this reason, to to cleanse those who forsake their sin and believe on him. If you have not, today is the day to do just that. 
So that's the healing of the leper. Now notice Jesus' message to the leper. Look at verse 14. And he charged them to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Several things here. One, notice Jesus tells the man to tell no one. He does this a number of times during his earthly ministry, so much so that that theologians have a name for it. It's called the Messianic Secret. And some scratch their heads at this and they say, why would... Why would Jesus want this man to remain silent? Doesn't Jesus call for his disciples to be witnesses of his great person and work? And the answer to that question is, yes, he does at the appointed time. Timing is is everything in Jesus' earthly ministry, and he always does what needs to be done at the perfectly appointed time as he so chooses. At the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, he doesn't reveal to a lot of people that he is the Messiah. That point is driven home by the gospel writers after these events. Here's why Jesus knew that the title was misunderstood by the Jewish people at this time. They were looking for the Messiah to be this political revolutionary, not a suffering servant. They were hoping he would come and deliver them from Roman rule rather than free them from sin and death, which was their greater need. We'll talk about that in a moment. He did not want them to get the wrong idea, but instead he wanted to be revealed as the promised Messiah at the proper time, then go to Calvary to show the world what the Father had sent him to accomplish. He, he probably also knew that crowds gathering around him as this political savior would have gathered the attention of the, the Roman government for the wrong reasons. And also, Christ did not want the crowds to simply gather for the purpose of being healed from physical ailments, even though that did happen. They did gather after he healed. Look at verses 15 and 16. But even now, more the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So so word traveled far and wide about this miracle-working Messiah. Large crowds gathered to hear from him and to what? We're told here, to be healed by him. What did Christ do? He withdrew to be alone and prayed. He got away to keep his focus on the task that the Father sent him to do. His main concern was to fulfill the will of the Father, to accomplish salvation. He came to perform these miracles to really illustrate mankind's need to be forgiven of sin and restored to God and also to give his followers a little taste of what he had been sent to accomplish in reversing the curse and fixing the world Adam broke by removing sickness and sorrow and pain and death. Jesus did not want people to simply draw near to him for physical healing and for the purpose of witnessing a miracle, but rather for forgiveness of sin and restoration to God. So he tells this man, tell no one. He also tells him, notice, go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus calls for this man 
to abide by the law of Moses in presenting himself before the priest. This is found in Leviticus 14. You'll read about uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 about this process this week in your scripture reading. When one was healed from leprosy, he or she was to go to the priest and that person was to present themselves before him and the priest would then look that person over, assess the situation and declare whether or not they were clean or unclean. And in this day, listen, there were, there were no sweeter words spoken to a person with leprosy than to hear from that priest that they were clean. That meant so much to them. That meant they were going to be restored to their family, restored to God's people. Something else here. Notice here the superiority of Jesus over the priests here. We talked quite a bit about the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus in our study through Hebrews. We learn here that Jesus is a true and better priest. While most of the priests in this day, they would have refrained from even interacting with the leper, much less touching him, right? Because that encounter would have made them ceremonially unfit to be a go-between for God's people before God. Jesus interacts with him, touches him, cleanses him. Again, the unclean does not make the clean unclean, but the clean makes the unclean completely clean. You follow me? Notice also the only power that the priests of old possessed was being able to assess the situation and determine whether one was clean or unclean. Jesus actually has the power to heal the leper. Priests in the first century, they could address the problem but could not provide the solution. Jesus is different. He's better, amen? He not only addressed the problem, he provided the solution. He not only provided the solution, he is the solution. He is the Lamb of God who takes away sin. Through his person and work, through offering up his life as payment, as our substitute and sacrifice, Christ functions as our priest and our perfect sacrifice for sin. And the application to be made by you and me is very, very simple. We are all in need of spiritual cleansing. Like this man full of leprosy, we're full of sin. We're conceived in sin, full of sin. And there is only one place we can go for cleansing. Only one we can look to for healing, for restoration. And that is in Christ alone. So that's the story of the leper. Now let's turn our story, our focus toward the story of the paralytic. Next story. Notice Jesus' message to the paralytic. Look at verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with them to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, 
Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, don't pass over that too quickly. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. Stop there for a moment. Notice Jesus is teaching. Crowd is gathered in to hear him. He has grown in, in popularity. The, the Pharisees and teachers of the law were all sitting in this house. We're told they had come from every village of, of Galilee and from the south as well, from Judea and from Jerusalem. Word of Jesus had certainly spread. We saw this last week when he's teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, right? They gathered in. Remember, they're pressing in on him so much so he's got to get in Peter's boat push off from the shore a little bit so he can project out properly and, and address everyone. Here they're, they're gathered in this house, and it's packed out. So packed, there's no way in. We're, we're told in the previous passage as well, people were gathering at this time to hear what Jesus would say, but more importantly, they were gathering to witness what Jesus might do. And they have most certainly packed this house out for the same reason, to witness Jesus perform a miracle. And we know that there are certain men who have come to see this because they're carrying their buddy on a bed who was paralyzed. We're told they wanted to bring him in, lay him before Jesus, but there's no way into the house because of the crowd. So they do something very unique. What do they do? They climb up on the roof and they let him down on his bed through the tiles on the roof. They just drop him down right in the midst of this crowd right before Jesus. Can you imagine that? You're sitting there, you're watching Jesus, and all of a sudden this guy just comes in on a bed down from the roof. Eyes are probably fixed on Jesus, right? Want to see him heal this man. But notice Jesus doesn't lead with this. Doesn't lead with healing. We're told that Jesus, seeing their great faith, looks on this man and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. So here is Jesus' message to this man. He forgives him of his sin. In the previous passage, Jesus spoke a word of cleansing to the leper. Here he speaks a word of forgiveness to the paralytic. Why? Why, why lead with this? Watch this, very important. Because our fundamental need in this world is forgiveness. It's true. What we need more than anything else in this life, our fundamental need in this world is to be forgiven of sin. Now, there are certain people who are really struggling in this life, like this paralytic here, who might try to argue and say, well, for people with no struggles in life, I would agree. Their fundamental need is forgiveness of sin. But for me, my greatest need is to be cured of my ailments. My greatest fundamental need is, is for that loved one who's been given a short amount of time for them to, to be healed. My fundamental need is to get out of massive amounts of debt. My fundamental need is to finish school. My fundamental need is to get that much-needed promotion at work. Listen, no matter how big or how small, all of those needs pale in comparison to the need that Jesus addresses here and meets here for this man. Our fundamental need in this world is 
forgiveness. Believers, do you believe that? Better. Folks, do you believe that? Ligon Duncan said it in this way. Look at this quote on, on the screen. Without the blessing of the forgiveness of sins, no other blessing of God can be enjoyed. Your body could be healed and you could spend eternity in separation from the love of the living God and under his burning, searching judgment. There is no need more central than the forgiveness of sins, no other blessing can be enjoyed without it. End quote, true, true. So true. That point comes in here loud and clear in this passage. Notice what else we learned from Jesus' message here. In the previous passage, we learned that only Jesus can make the unclean clean. Here we learn only Jesus can forgive condemned sinners. In the previous passage, Jesus showed himself to be a superior priest to the priest of old, because while they could declare one to be clean or, or unclean, they could not provide the solution. They could not, in their own strength, make one clean. In a similar way, while the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the scribes and Pharisees, they, they knew the law. They knew what made one a sinner in accordance with the law. They could not grant forgiveness of sin. And, and they didn't think Jesus had the authority to do that either. Look at verse 21 again. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, while these religious leaders failed to see Jesus for who he truly is, and they wrongly accused him of blasphemy, the second question they ask is the right one, and it's one that we all must consider when we are considering who Jesus is. Look at it again. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, this is a rhetorical question with the obvious answer being no one but God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? No one but God. And the reason why is because only the person who has been sinned against can forgive that offense when forgiveness is sought. Sin is an offense against holy God. Therefore, only holy God can forgive sin. What Jesus is indicating about himself here is that he has the power to forgive sin because he is God. You see that? I don't get people, and I've had them tell me this. You, you can't show me in Scripture where Jesus clearly claims to be God. Here it is right here. No one can forgive sin but God alone. And what, what does Jesus do? Your sins are forgiven. And they say, blasphemy. I think he's claiming to be God. You know? I think I can connect the dots there. Can't you? He offers cleansing. In the previous passage here, he offers forgiveness. And by doing this, he is making this claim. He is claiming to be God. And the religious leaders knew it, but they don't say it out loud. They're probably talking quietly amongst themselves. They're certainly thinking these things, but we're going to see that Jesus knows what they're whispering. He knows what they're thinking. He knows what's in their heart. You know why? Because he's God, right? They also do not know that Jesus has set them up here. He often does that. He speaks a word of forgiveness first, knowing 
that they're going to question him on this, asking questions like, who do you think you are? What, what right do you have to forgive sin? That's blasphemy. Well, Jesus is going to show them by what authority he does these things, which brings us right in to the last part of this passage. Let's look at Jesus' authority on display by his healing of the paralytic. Look at verse 22 again. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man, now let's pause there, that's an important title, Son of Man. You're going to hear Christ referring to himself as the Son of Man again and again. We don't have time to go into the explanation of that here, but we will before we're finished with Luke. But what he's doing is he's referring to a title that was given of God the Son in the Old Testament when he is before the Ancient of Days, okay? Very important title. He's referring to himself, and they knew it, as, as God the Son. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Folks, that right there is a miracle. There are several things here. Notice, first, Jesus responds to their thoughts. He says, what's, what's easier, healing one spiritually or healing one physically? Saying your sins are forgiven or saying rise and walk. Neither, right? Just like they don't have the power to forgive, they don't have the power to heal. They couldn't forgive one another of their sins and they couldn't make lame men walk. Jesus is asking this question knowing their response to show them his authority. Then he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. Man, I love the way Luke words this here. See, this man had been held up by a bed because he was paralyzed. He encounters Jesus is healed, and then he gets up and picks up what's been holding him up, and he walks home in the power of God, glorifying him. I believe not just for the fact that he's been healed physically, but for the fact that he's been forgiven, for the fact that he's been restored. This is always the proper response, worship for forgiveness. Luke makes this point again and again. God's people worship God for being God's people. Write that down. That's important. It's very, very simple, I know, but we need to be reminded of it, right? God's people worship God for being God's people. Have you worshiped God because you're, you belong to him? You've been forgiven, restored. When's the, when's the last time you took time to worship God for the forgiveness of sins? When's the last time you took time to praise God for rescuing you from, from sin and death? for cleansing you from the inside out. When's the last time you have praised the Lord because your sins have been washed white? That's the proper response. This man travels home, glorifies God. So do those looking on. Look at verse 26. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. They sure did. 
What a response. What's your response going to be this morning? Have you responded to him? Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation? Have you come like the leper, like the paralytic, for healing, for forgiveness? If you're not trusting in Christ alone for salvation, I invite you to this very day. Fall at his feet. Give your life up and over to him and be saved. Do not resist him. Do not reject him. Surrender your life to him and be saved. Let's pray together.